Welcome to Mentality Podcast, where we have real conversations with real people about healthy masculinities. I'm your host, Lao Jokan, and throughout this podcast, we'll hear from a wide range of guests about the views and experiences of manhood. We'll look at the bits we should celebrate, but also its messy parts, while having a bit of a laugh. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Mentality Podcast. The summer is in full swing, and I'm just loving the sun. I'm loving the barbecues, the picnics, the hangouts. It's absolutely lovely and I hope you're enjoying it as well wherever you're listening from. Also wanted to say if you're enjoying this podcast, please don't forget to like, subscribe or comment on whatever platform you're listening from. And in order to continue to raise awareness on men's mental health and the fact that it's still hard for us men to just open up and have constructing conversations about what's happening in our lives, I'm going to run a triathlon to continue to raise awareness. So the triathlon that I'm running is going to be in early August. And if you want to chip in in order to support me to continue the work that I'm doing with Mentoring and Advocacy Network, or you want to send maybe just a word of encouragement, I'll put the link in the caption of this episode so you can just get in touch this way. But now going back to today's episode... I'm having the honor to speak to Aaron Barnett-Clark, the lead captain at Maroon Fitness. And Maroon Fitness is a community-based fitness club here in Southeast London. And I've trained with Maroon Fitness, and it's absolutely great pleasure to be part of this community. And here's my conversation with Aaron. Hi, Aaron, and welcome. Now, thanks for having me. It's an honor, man. I remember when this podcast was just an idea, <laughs> just a seed. And now, not just the podcast, but the events... And your whole movement is amazing, so it's an honour for me to be a part of it. The honour is, is all mine just to have you here and discuss a bit about all the things that I just mentioned earlier. But why don't we just kind of maybe mention it like, you know, Maroon Fitness and how it started and why it started. Yeah, so uh, Maroon Fitness itself started in 2020. In the middle of the lockdown, myself and my partner Rio, we would work out every day just to kind of keep our heads clear. And the weather was really nice as well. So we were outdoors every day. We made it almost a mission that we had to go outside every day. But then we noticed as we were doing it and we were exercising, people would stand and watch. Some people would come and talk to us. And we'd offer that people can get involved and we'd train them for, for free. And it was just fun just bringing people together. And as it started growing, we said, this is actually serving the community now. And so what we did is we started a WhatsApp group just so everyone could stay in touch. And we kept going every day from there, doing free classes in the park. And then we just grew and grew and grew. And we ended up meeting great people like you. Do you know what I mean? And our community, yeah. And we, we just kept it going. We just kept it going. Now we offer a range of different exercises. The team has grown. We're in multiple locations. And yeah, it's just going from strength to strength. No, it's absolutely amazing. Because as you just mentioned, this is how we actually met through Maroon Fitness. And I still remember that Friday afternoon when I was just doing my shopping music was blasting people were exercising it was like wow this is amazing it was in the middle of the lockdown where the gyms were closed mm. and i was like i want to be part of this and i remember i think i talked to arrow because uh, arrow was just yeah, part yeah. of the team then and then we exchanged numbers i remember i just went home dropped my stuff and just <laughs> changed and came and i just loved it because it was you know such a great vibe it was such a great community people were friendly it was just what I guess many of us needed in the middle of the lockdown. Yeah, it definitely was what was needed. And what was so good about that time, with all the ups and downs that were happening, you were able to do a lot of reflection. Me and Ria and Arrow, we did reflect and we thought, what can we do to balance what's happening in the world right now? What's happening in our community right now? 
and that was just a natural balance that we could add to it, add to the world, because it just felt really unbalanced. One of the unbalances was the simple fact that everyone was on furlough or, or not at work, but yet we were being told to isolate. Yeah. So it's like we're all actually very close, but we have to stay on our own. And we said, that's an unbalance. Or the simple fact that the sun was shining and it was the middle of summer, which is a great time, but yet there's a health pandemic. And that's why our answer was, let's balance this out by offering group exercises outdoors in the sun, which helps better everyone's uh, health. And yeah, and that's that's what it was. And yeah, it was just that little positivity, I guess. I mean, for me, it was literally a, a lifesaver because it was quite quite lonely. It was just great to, to meet this group of people who were very friendly. And what I loved about it, that not only the, the, you know, the classes were free, which was a great effort for you guys to do that for the community. But on top of that, at the end of the sessions, we were getting like free fruits, yeah, free, yeah, free yeah. protein bars. As you said, it was a massive counterbalance to what was happening. And we still do that. We still yeah. we still give out free fruit at the end exactly. of every class. And at the moment now, even though we do have now rent to pay for at different venues, we do still offer free classes. We see that that is a part of our foundation, you know, accessibility, the affordability. Yeah, and the free fruit. <laughs> like you, got, you can't go wrong with, with free fruit at the end. Yeah, 100%, exactly. You couldn't get Kanga wrong. It's like such a, it's such a welcoming place. And one thing that I also like about Maroon Fitness, because it's not just focused only on fitness, it's also about the community. But for me, it was a place that we could just have conversations about different stuff or mm. the fact you, you post. And one of my favorite clips that you guys posted there, I think I've mentioned to you, it's about the Nanny of the Maroons. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah she's such a great clip. Yeah, and, and that's one thing as well, that um, the inspiration to what we do is taken, it's just a part of history, and we've just taken it, it's a part of our culture, and we've just applied it to now. There's a there's an old West African saying, and it has a it has a symbol as well, and it's like a bird which is reaching back to pick up a um, pebble, and the saying, it's called Sankofa, the Sankofa bird, and it means basically, you must go back in order to go forward. So there's many ways that people interpret it. So some people say go back to go forward. Some people just say you must go back. But that's pretty much what it means. If you if you want to go forward, just take a look behind you. There's information and knowledge there that can help you on your path. And so that's kind of like the mentality we had with taking a piece of our history, of the maroon history, and, and just applying it to, to what we're doing. Can you tell a bit more what is, you know, what, what was the history of, of you know, maroon, yeah, of yeah. the maroons and so on? Yeah, so the Maroons, during the times of the transatlantic slave trade that was going on between Europe, America and South America, the, the West Africans that were taken from all over West Africa to those places, there were people that fought back immediately on arrival and people that kept fighting back. And when they would fight back and gain their freedom, they were classed as Maroons because they would start their own communities in mountains, in lands far away from the plantations that their people were enslaved on. And so whilst they were there and they had their own land, they didn't forget about the rest of the people that they had to save. They'd go back and they tried to save them. And yeah, it was just, sometimes they had wars. So there's actually documented wars between Maroons and different colonies throughout Europe until the point that some of them, just like any war, sometimes you lose, sometimes you win, and sometimes you sign a peace treaty. So in different in different situations around the world, that's exactly what happened. 
the, the history is amazing because there's so many different outcomes. So like I said, there were some that won. Um, in Jamaica, they won. They signed a peace treaty on the Second Maroon War. In Brazil, they had a kingdom there, Maroon kingdom there for a for hundred years and then lost a war between the Portuguese. Another set of Maroons from the island of St. Vincent, they actually started started their battle on the ship to the island. They shipwrecked. So they actually defeated, I think it was Spanish colonizers on the ship. They didn't know how to steer the ship. So they just shipwrecked onto the island of St. Vincent and then communicated with the native people of the island and joined forces with them. And they've created their whole, a whole new identity and language. It's actually, their language is recognized by the United Nations as a protected language because the native people have died out, but yet the Garifuna people, Maroon people are still alive. So they continue their language through what they speak. So yeah, it's, it's a, such a huge history with so many different outcomes. So yeah, we just took that and just apply it to what we do now. Yeah, because I can see that in also the Maroon Fitness logo is like the mountain. Yeah, and it kind yeah. of is the sun or it kind of shines upon the mountain or... Yeah, so it's because they would use the mountains, they would go into the mountains a lot of times and, and start their, uh, their communities in mountains because they'd have a better advantage point looking over the land. We have the seven points coming off here and that represents each continent. Yeah, and just overall, it's just that life is a journey and sometimes it does feel like an uphill battle. You know what I'm saying? Everyone is climbing their own mountain in their own life. And it's just about, yeah, no matter how you climb that mountain, the peak looks the same. Oh, I love it. I love it. And as a, as a segue to, to a bit about mental health. And now when we're more free to, to move, and of course people can just, you know, join different fitness classes, but is any maybe a tip or two what people can do at home on their own to keep up with their mental health? If you are at home and you don't have time to get down to your local gym or fitness club, I definitely say go online and check out. There's so much videos on online nowadays of different home workout routines, but exercise is just movement. So like I've told my dad, who's in his seventies, you like sitting down watching TV all day. An exercise that you can do is just repeatedly sitting down and standing up while you're watching TV. So you could have the TV on or music on, whatever you like. Just do something as simple as that. You can still watch the television, maybe set a time on your phone or maybe, or do it in sets of 10. Stand up and sit down 10 times and then sit down for one minute and then stand up and sit down 10 times again. And that is exercise. So it's, it's all about movement, just keeping the, keeping the body active. And it, it does wonders for your mental health. Not only your physical body will you see improvements, but also just the fact that you've overcome challenges, just overcoming that regular challenge, the mental challenge to stand up and sit down 10 times, the discipline that that takes. It's almost like a huge amount of dopamine that you get in your body and it feels great and it's natural and, it, and it's good for you unlike this way you're making yourself feel good and you're making a good a good investment in yourself and it, it pays off and very good tip actually i need to tell my mom to do that like yeah. just watching all the all the telly like <laughs> mom you know t 10 times and i stand up sit down and then take it again yeah, yeah minutes. That's <laughs> it, man. and it goes by so quick because you're doing it in your house and you're watching tv you won't feel it because you're in a comfortable environment mm. and it's something that is very calm, especially for the older generation, I would say. Amazing. Great, great, uh, great advice. Uh, I'm just thinking also in terms of this idea of masculinity and there's some perceptions which are quite, in my view, quite rigid that, you know, the, the stronger you are, the bigger you are as a man, it means, you know, you're mm. more manly. What are your views in terms of in relation between fitness and masculinity? I mean, there's, there's, there's two sides of it. I can def I can definitely see the method to the madness and how people 
come across those thoughts. I think a lot of that stuff maybe even stems back to just as humans innate thoughts of how to survive. If you are strong, then you must be able to survive or something like that. But also it's completely untrue, especially in the world that we live in today where you have a choice. It's not like how things were millions of years ago. Now we have a choice when you see that someone has decided to to train themselves and get in shape. They decided there wasn't, they didn't do it to feed their family. You know, they didn't do it because they needed to hunt to get tonight's dinner or anything like that. Mm. They chose, they're doing it out of, they're doing it for pleasure. You know what I'm saying? Or even health reasons. And so it, it completely isn't down to anything survival, to do with their, yeah. yeah, yeah. Or down to their masculinity. Definitely not physical survival in, in a lot of cases. I think there's a, still a lot of ignorance in the world when it comes to certain concepts. But slowly but surely, I'm sure that things will change as they do. You know, with with organisations like Maroon Fitness showing the other side to it. And, and that's really what it is. If, if we can continue to be individuals that show different sides and organisations that can show different sides, then I think it will definitely open people's minds. Absolutely. From our previous chats and so on, I know you're quite passionate about fitness. And so maybe if you if you like to just share a bit about like what lies behind your passion about fitness and, and all that. For me, actually, before school, it started in the playground, actually, just as a child running around, climbing to my next door neighbor's house, climbing back to my house. I'd say that what's really made me fall in love with physical movement because it's it's much beyond exercise and sports. It just It's just physical movement. It's just moving, whether it be to music, whatever it is, it's just moving my body. I'd say that was the beginning and the joy it brought me. You know, like I remember when I was five, I taught my next door neighbor, who was free, how to climb. I mean, now when I think about it, he was young and he couldn't climb the fence to get into my garden. So I remember teaching him how to climb over the wall. And I remember just the feeling of that, like, because now he has the freedom to climb, even though he was only free. So yeah, that it started like it's early memories like that. Do you get what I mean? When now when I look back, I've realized that those were the things that really pushed me to do what I want to do. And, and then, yeah, just as life went on, got into sports, I was always a person as a child that tried multiple things. I played football, basketball. There was a phase that I wanted to play the guitar, you know, uh, skateboarding, roller skating. I'd done extreme pogo stick. <laughs> like, <laughs> loud, like I literally took it all the way. Like, so I, I'd always been like that. So literally when we was younger, I remember pogo sticking off a roof, now off the same neighbor. Like this is now when we were older, when we was in our teenage years, and we was hooked on pogo sticking. It was like, all right, let's pogo stick off your roof. But what we didn't realize is, if you pogo stick from a height onto grass, the stick is just gonna go into the grass, and you're not gonna bounce. We went off his roof straight into the grass, and we yeah, it just ended. It didn't end well. But yeah, just things like that. You know, and yeah, it's always brought me joy and excitement. And that's another thing as well. It's free. Because when we were growing up, there was there was nine of us in the house. So sometimes we didn't have enough, whether it be money or sports equipment, whatever it is. When you get down to that, it's nothing but yourself. Like, what can you do with what you have? And so that's where it really came down to. It's like, if you're in your back garden and you know there's a row of gardens, there's about 20 gardens. You have a race, you know, climbing back and forth. Yeah, we were so active that the neighbours, they actually started sectioning off their gardens so we could climb and play in their garden and 
it was good. It was a lot of community spirit back then. And then, yeah, after after sports, I mean, I went into uh, semi-professional basketball and that really showed me encouragement and the praise you can get from the outside world for being good at physical sports. The medals and the scouts traveling up and down the country and stuff, that showed me how far it can really take you. And yeah, from, from there, I just kind of just... From there, it get it got to a point where you you don't want to live without it. You realize what it does for you mentally, and you know once you do something as simple as a hundred press ups, not back to back. I'm just talking about in the space of like ten minutes, and you discipline yourself to do that. No one can tell you you can't do anything. The praise that you'll give yourself and the the reassurance that you can do things, yeah, it is it's amazing from there. Speaking about one hundred press ups, I remember when you were doing online those kind of like saturday lunchtime classes and you're just you know yeah, all that yeah. stuff which oh, those, really those challenges yeah the maroon challenges yeah like things like that and as much as it was a part of maroon fitness and I, and it was like the weekend maroon challenge the amount of energy that that gave me you know because you set yourself a challenge and the fact that you guys were watching and stuff and the beautiful thing about it is that because it was a challenge we set ourselves what's the worst that can happen you set yourself to challenge. If you don't succeed, you just go again. Yeah, that, that's it, literally. And I think if you live on that compass of life where you're setting your own goals and you don't look for societies, what society will praise you for, because it's very narrow what society will praise you for. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I've learned to really appreciate the small things in life, the things that people don't even really pay attention to. It could be something like, literally, I said it today, it, it was good to see you today in shorts. Like, because the last time I saw you, it was cold. And so something as small as that, I fully acknowledge that that is, that's a win right there. Like, I'm seeing you in warmer weather. That's amazing. But there's no medal for that. <laughs> Unfortunately. 100%. I think what is great about it, you say that not, you know, they're small things, but most of the times these small things, they come for free. Like, you know, relationships, spending time with, you know, in your, in your community, I remember once, like back in the day when I used to live in Denmark as a student, I just went for a cycle to a side of the city where I was close to the beach, and then just stand there for like half an hour, just lying on the sand, looking at the looking at the sky, and it was like it didn't cost me nothing. I exercised, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, it was just free, and I just realized this is really good. I really enjoyed this, mm -hmm. and as you say, there are these small things that can build us up. We talked about earlier those, you know, maroon challenges. Like, oh, actually, I can do one in press ups, or I can do this and that. And you realize that it came for free. Or just us watching you, like guiding us. Those moments, I think, quite quite invaluable. Definitely, definitely. And I think honestly, if if we as people can kind of retrain our mind, because this isn't something that a lot of people are taught from a young age. So I think that if you're if you you haven't been taught to be as grateful and to look at the world from that perspective, I think just retrain yourself. It's not too late. You just take time and just be very conscious and aware. And even if you're not and you notice something, you just correct yourself, and then eventually it will become habit. In the end, it's a learning curve. So you set yourself a goal that you might be able to reach or not. But even if you don't reach it, as you say, it's a learning curve. What have I learned, and what can I improve maybe next time to reach that goal, and exactly. so on. Exactly, and that's and that's what that's the beautiful thing about life is that you're given another day to try again. And I think if people just keep that in mind in everything they do, day another chance, then yeah, we make a huge difference. It's 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 one of these things. It's like if I gave you a million pounds today, right? Would you be happy? It's not a trick question. I think the honest answer would be, I'll be happy for a short period. I don't know, maybe a day. Yeah. 
But then it'll come a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. With what it. about if I give you a hundred million? <laughs> this isn't a trick question. Yeah, no, I, I know. I, I know. It's I not mean, a trick it would question. make you happy, right? Yeah. But what if I told you, right? I'll give you five hundred million, but you can't wake up tomorrow. You wouldn't accept it, right? Yeah, but what will help me? Those five hundred million, right? It, exactly, be because your life. There's no price you can put on that. There's no amount of money. So if people just realize that, if you can say to yourself. I have a good chance of waking up tomorrow. It pretty much overrides anything you're going through today. Any materialistic thing that you're going through. And this doesn't mean that things can't hurt us and affect us. But always remember, at the core of everything, the chances are you're going to be alive tomorrow. And if you do have that gift of tomorrow waiting for you, don't put nothing before that gift. Whether it's a job, even a relationship, anything, don't put nothing before that. Do you know what I'm saying? I totally, totally agree with that because... One thing that I that I like to say is that it doesn't matter what's happening through you or what you're going through. It's more important who you have around, the mm. community you have around. Because you're right that, yeah, you might go to a challenge like losing a job or a relationship or someone dear, which is traumatic and tragic. But knowing that tomorrow the sun is going to rise, there's a new chance to respond to that in, in, exactly. a, in a different way. Exactly, exactly. And that means like we're already rich, you know, if you yeah. can wake up tomorrow. Because that's the biggest gift. There's no amount of man-made materials that can replace that. It's, it's like the attitude of gratitude. That's what I like to call it. Just looking on the bright side, it, it keeps your energies high. What perspective you have in life in which most of the time can help. And of course, there are extreme times when, when we can't do or we don't have too many choices. But I remember I was reading a book from, I think his name is Jim Collins. And he was saying about... A prisoner who had like two square meter cell. Oh my gosh, wow, yeah. Like, what can you do there? <laughs> That's well, tiny, yeah. A very tiny place. But he was saying, in that two square meters, I still have the choice to move how much I want freely. Yes, I'm very confined, but still there's a choice. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's very limited. So that for me was a catalyst moment, like, wow, if this guy could see it this way, I can also approach the choices that have been, yeah. in, you know, in, in freedom. And and it will be hard, I'm sure, even in being using that example, people always use the excuse of the difficulty, how hard it is. So they'll say it's not easy or it's easier said than done. Or, I mean, what in life isn't easier said than done? It's much easier for me to say pyramid than it is for me to build a pyramid. Whether I want to or not, that's a completely different question. But that's not logical. That doesn't, is not a good excuse to get you out of something. So even in my mind, being grateful for hard times, being grateful that something is difficult, you know, it's like the gratitude goes a deeper level, you know what I'm saying, so even if you're in a tricky situation or a tough situation that you have to get through in life, be grateful for that difficulty and, and take it as it comes. I mean, one thing that really hit the nail on the head for me when it came to thinking like that was childbirth, actually, because I thought to myself, okay, if I'm going to really embrace this m- mindset of accepting difficulty, let me think about the human life itself of course, leads you back to the beginning of human life, which is childbirth. And I thought, whoa, the entrance to life is extremely difficult. Both parties could die. And also, if it doesn't happen, if you choose to not do this difficult journey of childbirth, the whole of humanity will come to a complete halt. So this is something, a difficulty that you almost have to do. You get over your biggest obstacle at the beginning, unless, of course, you are a woman and you have to give birth. But especially for us as men, that is something to be grateful for. Two things that kind of stand out to me. One is that to be completely open, like both my mom and myself, 
were in that situation that mm. there was a life-threatening situation where either one of us passes away or both of us or well, yeah. and so on. And thank God both of us are here. Yeah, yeah. So God, yeah. you're right, it's, it's definitely a difficult challenge that we men don't experience when it comes to childbirth. But also I'm thinking in terms of like the, the journey, as you mentioned, as you know, we go as men and how we can build ourselves up. I'm just curious to what is your view on masculinity and maybe how it changed, what it means to be a man. It's actually good that we're having this talk because I did five weeks of therapy not long ago. Mm. And, it, and when I had my breakthrough moment, it actually came down to uh, manhood, the subconscious thoughts and feelings I had towards my own personal experiences of manhood and also within my upbringing was actually something that I was battling with deep down. And I didn't actually know. I knew there was something, but I didn't know specifically where it was pinpointed. And for me, what caused me to even embark on the, those therapy sessions was one, I was going to be working with uh, young men and women who are in their early 20s and who have gone through things. Um, so I thought it would be good for me to see how it is to even speak to someone that is going through stuff, even if I'm on the receiving end. And two, I asked myself, if I had a child, would I be able to shed a tear? And I've seen a lot of videos online of people having children and stuff, and even my own friends, and they do shed a tear. But I asked myself that, and I wasn't satisfied with my answer of, I don't know. I wasn't satisfied with that at all. And I realized from then, there is a wall between myself and vulnerability. And I have to knock down this wall. I have to get through this. Because when my first child is born, I want to be able to express myself freely with no, without feeling judged. And if I feel like crying, then I cry. If I feel like laughing, then I laugh. And it is what it is. So yeah, throughout the, uh, the sessions, a lot of different things were brought up. The different hats that we wear or masks that we wear as men, masks of strength, of leadership, especially within my family. And that's just bringing it to my surroundings because there's a lot of men in my family that I would say struggled with positive masculinity and the responsibilities that come with it that led to some men isolating themselves, starting new families. So there's so many different outcomes. So for me, with seeing all of that and experiencing all of that, I guess it had internalized, but I didn't know how. So I didn't want to be like that. And I would go far and beyond to not be like that and to do my best to be the best positive male role model that I could be. What the sessions helped me realize is my reason why. And one of my deep reasons why that I am the type of man I am today was because growing up, there wasn't any uh, strong male figures. And even to this day, right now in 2022, there still isn't enough. And I've only realized now, as I've grown into a man and I'm leading my family, that there's no other men who have successfully conquered the challenges that manhood brings. A lot, a lot of them fell short because we all go through it as men. We all go through certain challenges. But a lot of the men in my environment fell short to that. So this could be, for example, a challenge that you have as a man is fatherhood. I'm not a father yet, but I'm having to step into that role because there's males in my family that for one reason or another, their own, everyone goes through their own personal journey, didn't or haven't yet stepped up to, to that role. It just means for me personally, I don't know about anyone else, but I have to step in. You know, a whole person's life is on the line. Not only that, if you don't become a good person, you could also affect other people and you could make someone else's life hell, you know? 
that's one thing I realized. I realized when I wasn't able to pass the burden onto anyone else. And there was no there was no other male that would understand. So even if I spoke about spending time with my with my cousin because his dad's not around, there's no other male around me that has raised someone in their early twenties. Because all of all of the dads aren't there. So it's it's just things like that. So it's like I'm helping to raise a twenty five year old. Do you know what I'm saying? There's like a, maybe about seven years gap between me and him. So I'm not that much older. But also there's no other male that has been through that around. There's males. There's definitely males. But they haven't stepped up to their own children. So when I say, oh, my cousin is going through this, they don't know what to say. When the opportunity came up in their life to step up, they didn't. It's not judgment. There's women around that did step up. And I feel like they have less of a choice. It's different cards on the table before they choose to step up or not. So they don't even understand it the same way. And we're talking about men as well, you know? Thank you very much for sharing that, Aaron, because it's such a vulnerable story. Strange enough that me growing up in Romania, my story is not very dissimilar mm. to yours. First of all, that's although I grew up with a father, he wasn't very much present. So I was hungry for a male figure, a male role model. As you said, my mom had to step in. And similar to yours, my purpose was how not to be like my father. Mm. And it's like like a negative role model in that sense, somebody not to follow. In my in my kind of recent counseling session, similar to yours, like a lot of times the idea of masculinity, what it means to your man, came up a lot of times and to reach a point where when I want to be a father how I can relate to my children. Also, what I think it's really great, first of all, what you're doing, that you're stepping in, you're supporting your, your cousin. Because in the end, yes, sometimes, unfortunately, there are moments when our fathers are not there or they're not present. Mm. But that's not the end of the story. Mm-hmm. That's why we need a village. That's why we need the uncles and the aunties. Mm. Okay, so you're blood-related, but also can be non-blood-related, like a mentor. And say, you know what, let's spend time together. So I think that's why I think it's just so it's valuable so what you shared. Yeah, no, it's so true. It doesn't need to be a blood relative at all. The fact that you're not uh, related by blood, it makes it it makes it special in a completely different way. And it makes you not take each other for granted as well. Because I've worked with young people that are family and I've worked with young people that aren't. The young people that aren't family, not saying that they don't, the ones that are family don't appreciate it, they do. I can really see it, how the ones that aren't related take to the help and assistance and I think that is because I'm not related to them it's amazing there's so many different ways you can help people as well so even uh, one of the young guys that we work with now that is a part of the team Amani we met him in the park as well during lockdown and now he's 22 at the moment but he's a solid member of Maroon Fitness now and we sit down and we talk about so many different things to do with life especially usually after our classes because of that as well, spending time with each other, we've experienced things together. I remember something very shocking happened a few months back. We were packing up and usually when we finish and we shut the door, we usually stand for about 10 minutes and talk outside. And while we were talking, two cars of, of boys pulled up. They they pulled up a bit of a distance away from us. We noticed them, but we just continued talking. A short while after, let's just say about five minutes, another group of boys that were on foot, they were walking and they walked directly in the middle of the two cars like two cars full of guys jumped out and ambushed those boys. So I guess they knew that they were going to be there. Nina and Amani's first thought was to get out of there. Like, this is danger, right? So you have that fight or flight instinct kicked in. So it was immediately, in that situation, get out of there, right? And as we're going, 
because we had to actually pass them to go home. So we got closer to them. And I looked and I, went, I thought, these are young guys. This is no different to my nephew or my cousin or my future son, even the age, right? I said, Amani, stop, stop. And I just started speaking to them. And this is why a big brawl was happening as well. So I wasn't really speaking. I was shouting. <laughs> but I was shouting words of encouragement and positive affirmations and love. So I was literally screaming at the top of my lungs. I didn't know these boys, but just how much I love them, how much their life means to me, how much their life should mean to them and to think about their life before they do something they regret, you know, and um, you can imagine it's in the middle of a brawl. It's a very emotional time for everyone, them and myself. And I'm pouring all of this into these boys. I don't even know who's listening to any of this. The boys dispersed and there was only two boys left. There was one who was older. He was probably about... 23 and there was another one who's maybe about 19 but the older one was the aggressor and um, now it's just us four so the two that are fighting me and Amani and I'm continuing to shout these things and I can see it's going into his head because even though he's intimidating the guy he's not actually physically harming him it was it's crazy the, the other guys came back the the younger one all his friends dispersed they all ran and he was the only one there now the other friends came back they didn't really hear everything I had been saying to the older one. So they came back with still that aggression and they came in with aggression and hit the the guy immediately on return. And then he ran, they chased him. And I, so I said, okay, if you're chasing him, I'm coming then because I don't know what's going to happen if we leave. And um, I continued saying it and then they stopped because I said to them, police is coming. Like, just get out of here. All ran off. And then while they were running off, one of the boys took down his, uh, his like balaclava and he smiled and he said, thanks. But it was, it was almost like a child. It was a child. He was a kid. He was even younger than the other guy. The way he looked at me, it was almost like he just appreciated the fact that someone cared. Do you get what I'm saying? Cared about him and was willing to step in and do something, not just leave them and show them love. And because all of this time I was shouting to them how much I love them. Like, and I'm a stranger. The, the other, the victim, uh, he ran away. We was leaving and I told Amani, we should call the police. Amani's still young and he's grown up in this environment. So he said, well, you can't call the police. That's snitching. See, that's a mentality that is in this environment, in especially in poverty-stricken areas, right? Because when you are in a lot of poverty-stricken areas, sometimes it does bring crime. Crime brings police. And now people think the police are their enemy. And of course, there's a lot of injustice as well. But... I told him, you're not a criminal. You don't need to be worried about snitching. Everything you've learned from the streets growing up and just living in this type of neighborhood in this environment, forget all of that. You've seen a crime take place. And I said, what would that young boy's mum want you to do if she knew her son was being attacked? She'd want you to call the police. She'd want you to help her son. And I told him that even the aggressor, what would his mum want you to do? Before her son goes to prison for murder, she want something to intervene. And another thing is, I said that one of those other boys that ran off could be bleeding right now. We don't even know. So this is why we need to step up and take control of the situation. Not be afraid of judgment or any silly street stuff or mentalities that people have. He understood that. And that was the first time anyone had ever told him that. And then the police came. When I was on the phone to them, I said, oh, you guys came quick. Did someone else call the police? They said, no. You're the only one that called the police on the incident. So I just thought to myself, imagine if I wasn't there. And imagine if there is someone there that's injured. And then uh, as we turned around to go home, Armani went in his direction, I went home. 
There was a young boy walking on the street. I didn't know this kid. I just warned him. There was an incident that took place just around the corner. I don't know if you're going in that direction, but I'm just letting you know. And he said, thank you. And he said, don't I recognize you? Don't you do community classes, fitness classes? I said, yeah. He goes, my mum goes to your class. I go, oh, your mum was actually at class today. And then I said, yeah, you should come by with her. He said, yeah, I will, I will. And I said, call your mum or your dad now to come and meet you, to walk back with you. He said, yeah, I'm going to do that. As he was walking off, I realised that to go home, he would have had to pass that area because I know where his mum lives. So he literally was about to walk past that area and I didn't know who he was. It, that Even that was kind of like a light bulb moment that we actually are all one big community and we need to start viewing that way because we do all know each other in one way or another. So Such a powerful story because, as you mentioned, probably... If you wouldn't have been there, first of all, to shout all these words of affirmation towards those guys that you didn't know, probably, you know, a minute later or two, the, the son of the lady that attends your classes might have passed through and be, I know, shocked, caught in the middle. We, we never know what would yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anything could happen. And I think there's, because we do live in this, we do live in this type of society and our money is being made of the smallest of identity traits. As soon as it turns into a business, someone could take an identity or incident or scenario and blow it out of proportion for money. So let's just say you're growing up in an area where there's poverty and crime. You mix that with capitalism, that's a new movie about gangsters. That's a whole five-week news report about one knife crime incident that took place. So it's organisations and systems that are capitalising of any fault that you make, literally... And, and it goes both ways. It's whether you're good, the system will capitalise, but also whether there's something bad that goes on the system will capitalise. And it's just people realising that. And when I passed those young boys, I realised that, you know, the whole media image of these young guys that don't live for anything and are just crazy aggressive. When I actually saw them, because they're just kids. And as adults, we need to be confident enough to be able to stand within our own skin and speak. If I take myself back to that age of being a child, if a 30-year-old approaches me in a respectable way, especially, I'm going to respect him. He's an adult and I'm a kid. You still have that naivety. As much as people use the word naive in a bad way, this is a way that it actually works out positively, is that children, teenagers, still have that naivety. So no matter if you're an adult that you feel like you haven't got your life together, you feel like, well, I mean, why would they listen to me? The fact that you are just an older human, especially if you're relatable with, like, we're talking about young boys right now, so you're an older male, they'll, they'll listen. You just approach them respectfully and you speak to them, they'll listen. Going back to your, your story that I think what was powerful that you spoke those positive words towards them, I think, as you mentioned, the fact that that guy turned around, showed his thumbs up as an appreciation, because sometimes what I've experienced and from also reading and so on, when you're in a group, especially a group of guys, there may be one or two who are kind of enforcing what needs to happen, especially mm. when it comes to mass and what it is. But the others who actually disagree, but because they know there are repercussions, I'll be kicked out of the group, exactly. and you just comply. It just shows that, you know, sometimes we all need to know that somebody cares about us. Sometimes we, we come from environments, and as I said, like myself, that I need a role model and somebody to look up to, mm. or to know that another male cares about me, cares about my well-being. And that's why I think this community-based solutions of like, you know, mentors, social places for people to, to hang out and spend time together 
are many way the solutions. You're right, the police is there to keep us safe, and and you're right. Sometimes unfortunate negative incidents happen, we are, which are terrible. They are the answers to keep us safe, but to change narrative, we don't need more police officers to police stuff because yeah. personally, you know, use a stick method like you know we're gonna beat you up because if you do something wrong instead of hey, let's spend time together let's do something and help you build your own skills mm. instead of being afraid that you're going to be caught because you're doing something bad. Yeah, yeah. And it, what you're saying, what it is, is that prevention is better than cure. Exactly. And I've actually... So after that incident, immediately after that incident happened, I wrote down to a site where a young boy had been stabbed, 16 years old, murdered to death, and it was next to my house. I wrote, so I wrote right from that incident just to pay my respects to that boy. And there was police there that had the whole area taped off and stuff. And I spoke to the police officers, the whole prevention is better than cure method. And they weren't here for it. They aren't here to prevent crime. They're here to enforce the law when crime does happen. That's it. You don't, you don't care about the child when he's innocent, he's 12 years old, you know, and he's discovering the world. You don't want to prevent him from coming across negativity. All you want to do really is slap him in handcuffs if he ever steps out of line. But and, and but that's what it is. It's about, as a community, letting people within this community know, or within any community, know what's threatening their community. As you would any any team or any group. Oh, this is one of your obstacles, by the way. Just remember to jump over that when you, when you see it down the road. And that's it. Because the powers that be know exactly what they're doing. And this isn't about pointing the finger. Before we ask anyone else to change, change ourselves first. So before I even go to an organisation like the police and ask them about, you know what I'm saying? And it's just those things. People need to know what they're really up against. Alert other people within the community just so everyone is safe. That's it. Thanks for tuning in today and listening to the first part of my conversation with Aaron about fitness, masculinity and mental health. And if you enjoyed it, please don't forget to subscribe, comment or like to Mentality Podcast on whatever platform you're listening. And if you want to connect with me on the work that I'm doing or the triathlon that I'm running, please don't forget to check out the links in the caption of this episode. Until next time, stay safe and enjoy the summer.